Our program is called Truth Encounter, and as we continue to open the pages of the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, we are exposed to a very powerful example of how God parents His children and how He uses the wilderness experiences, the difficult times, to generate the strength needed to make it in life. Our study leader, Dave Wurtson, and his wife, Mary, now have four grown children, so Dave shares with us as a fellow traveler in this sometimes confusing journey of preparing kids to walk on their own with God. He begins our discussion today sharing about how God teaches powerfully in the hard times, not just the vacation times of our life. Our basic idea as parents these days is it's too hard. And what the Lord Jesus says at the end of this passage, I want you to see what he says about this wilderness experience. He says, look at verse 5. Know that in your heart there's a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. The imagery there is that God is saying, I am like a tender father. I am like a tender father who, who loves his children enough that I know that there's lessons in the hard times that they can never learn any other way. Brothers and sisters, I'm talking about something very important. I want you to go and look at the graduating classes in our high schools around our area. And look at what it is that they have. I'm just, and I'm going to apply it just in a regular, normal way of life. What were This lesson of the wilderness. Look at the kids. Go to the graduation and look at the scholarships kids get. Look at the opportunities kids get. And then you look at how many kids make it through even their first year away from home. Why? Because we didn't get them ready. It's too easy. We provide. It's too comfortable. And it's very, very hard. I'm sure my mom and dad prayed and agonized like crazy. They didn't know where Mary and I were half the time. In fact, in my own life, my own mom, when I was 14 years of age, my own mom said, bye, and I went to Florida, 1,800 miles away from home. I'm, that's pretty extreme, and I'm not encouraging any of you to do that. But as I look back on it, some of those were some of the greatest things in the world, to learn that God could provide for me that God could provide, that God could lead in my life, that I could learn to be disciplined. I had to learn to do it by dependence upon him alone and not by other people. Parents, ask yourself, am I willing to have my kids go through the wilderness? Let me talk, share something else with you. Have you ever noticed how the, the older kids in a family, like if there's a family of maybe five or so, like in my own immediate family that I was raised in, there's five of its kids. Have you ever noticed how the older ones will talk to their parents? You know what happened? You see, we all start out with our firstborn, and we don't have anything anyway. I mean, we don't have anything. We, don't, we hardly have a house. We hardly have a car. The older ones, when they came along, we didn't have anything. So it's not hard. It's not hard to take them through some wilderness because everybody's in the wilderness. It's easy. It's just the status quo. But then you prosper. Then you go through and God blesses you. And so it's not nearly as hard on the little ones. We just let the little ones do what they want to do. and We don't discipline them. I want to share something with you. Daddies, and I'm speaking to myself, if I'm not willing to love my kids enough to teach them the hard lessons of life, 
to be there for him, to provide some wilderness experiences, to provide, to be there, that, that kind of training, that I'm not following the example of my Father in heaven. You say, what do I need to do with our kids? As the kids are coming up through high school, you need to start to give them. You need to start to test them. You need to start to give them a little bit more responsibility. You need to show them how the effects of life, like if you don't study, then you flunk, and it produces bad effects. So you learn in the school of hard knocks. If you don't learn by the school of speech, and you start to slowly but surely give them that kind of freedom in a controlled situation, which is so difficult to do. It's hard to get that balance to train someone to know how, to, how much to test them and then when to take it off. It's like being a good coach. A good coach knows how far to make his swimmer swim, how far to make his runner run, how far to make his athlete push. And the athlete can go farther than he thinks, but he doesn't make him sick and he doesn't tear down his body and he doesn't hurt him. Only a terrible coach does that. The same thing in parenting. And we need to ask ourselves, Lord Jesus, we need wisdom and not be afraid of the wilderness. Don't be afraid to put your kids in some challenging situations. If you have some opportunities to send them to the camp, to give them some wilderness experience, it'll be one of the greatest experiences of their life. Spiritually, one more illustration about the wilderness. Our young people went down to Waco. You've all heard the stories. They arrived there, and a few minutes later, they took all their stuff away from them. They took them into a Salvation Army, and they made them buy clothes. Salvation Army clothes. And then they made them live in the street for about two days. And every one of our kids, if I just threw it open for testimony right now, every one of our kids would stand up and say, you know, that was one of the greatest moments in my life. There was, it was hard. It scared me to death. It was very difficult. But I'll never forget, we were just in downtown Dallas right after that happened, and we were walking down in downtown Dallas, and we walked by a street person. And Jonathan went over and started talking to him. I said, Jonathan, why don't you do that? He says, I didn't even see the guy. And Jonathan says, I will never, never not see a street person again. Why? Because I've been there. I know what it feels like. It's easy to talk about the needs and how they're lazy and everything else until you find out that when you sleep all night on the street and you don't have enough food and there's not enough water and you can't have a bath, you find out that you're just tired, really tired. And they got to know some of those people personally. And, and those are lessons, brothers and sisters, that are really, really important. And what I want you to see is that the model for that began in the Old Testament. The ultimate daddy in heaven, the ultimate daddy in heaven, let his children face the challenge of the wilderness. What do you learn in the hard time? You learn I'm totally dependent upon the Lord. He's the one that has to provide for me. And you also learn to obey him even when it's hard. In verses 6 through 20, we have not the lessons of the wilderness, but we're going to change gears. Now we talk about the lessons of the bountiful land. Look at verse 6. Observe the command of the Lord your God, walking in his ways. Notice it's very parallel to verse 1 of the chapter. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you. Verse 6, obey or observe the command of the Lord, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, with pools of water, with springs flowing the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. It sounds like, it sounds like the promised land. It sounds like California. 
And that's true. The land of Israel is a lot like California. What did it take to make a good land? Do you ever stop and think, look at what Moses is telling you about the good land. God's going to bring you a land, one that has a lot of water. Have you ever noticed how good land is with water? Do you ever notice how just a little brook flowing through a land just makes it so much more valuable? You see, when I lived back east in the mountains, there were lakes all around us. If you get up in a, in a Cessna 182 and fly over the Adirondacks, you can count lakes, thousands of them, as far as the eye can see. I went to high school with a, with a friend of mine from Minnesota, the land of a thousand lakes, and you fly over Minnesota, and there's just thousands of lakes everywhere you look. When I came here to Texas, you know, and, I, and I, one of the hardest things at first was it was dry. But, you know, we've been working hard. Man, we're so, we're so ingenious as Texans, we build our own lakes. See, I never even thought about building a lake in New York. Whoever built a lake? Man, the glaciers built the lakes. You know, we just enjoy them. But you ever stop and think, man, Joe Pool right over here. Now there's a beautiful lake. Has that enhanced the beauty of the area? Oh, you bet. Go over to Lake Fork and... And some of you have been fishing over there. A bountiful land has freshwater pools and lakes and streams. It also needs to be a land that has beautiful agricultural land. It needs to be a land that can produce grain. And there's, and there's beauty of lakes and streams, but there's also a, an incredible beauty of wheat as far as the eye can see. And so Kansas and the central part of our nation has such an incredible beauty, a bountiful land. You also want to enjoy, you know, some things like, like date honey and all the marvelous fruits. And so you go to a place like Jericho in the land of promise. And in Jericho, you can just walk out on the street and get this, these gigantic pieces of fruit, just incredible um, citrus crops that grow right outside of Jericho, right there in the Jordan River Basin. That's the land the Lord is giving to the people. You say, Dave, you just told us about hard times. You know what keeps you really going in the hard times? If you believe in the hard times that God is mean, he's an ogre, my coach hates me, he's trying to destroy me, you'll never make it. What the text is telling us is that God is good. The truth of the matter is that if you work hard and you learn the lessons of the wilderness, in other words, in adolescence and in your early years, in your 20s, and you really gut it out, you really work hard, you really rely upon the Lord, but you learn some of the lessons of the wilderness, and you learn how to have self-discipline, you learn how to apply yourself. You know what usually happens? Usually God brings a bountiful blessing. That's happened right in many of your own lives. Like in my own life, I'm not selling books in the streets of L.A. That's not what I'm doing now. When I first started on our marriage, we, we went from one little podunk apartment house to another with the beds that fell out of the walls and the roaches scattered everywhere and the mice went running. That's where we started out. That's where a lot of you started out. Mary can tell you a story of the kid with her parents. They didn't even have indoor plumbing when they went to Nebraska. You went outside, and some of you can identify with that. Some of you that are older love to brag about those days of rigor in the wilderness. But I don't know a one of you that has an outhouse today. You had hot showers this morning. Just turn on the thing and the water pours out on top of you. You see, that's the blessing of the good land. That's the way the Lord usually works. You see, you work hard in those early years, but then the Lord begins to prosper you. You know why that happens? Because God is good. God didn't give them the Sahara Desert. Have you ever noticed that? 
A lot of us, our concept of God is, you know, you really love God with all your heart, you really serve him, he'll leave you in the wilderness forever. Man, heaven's going to be the desert of the Sudan. No, it's not true at all. The Lord gives a good land. I think it's so important to realize that. Because some of us think it's really holy to stay in the wilderness forever. We think poverty is just exactly what the Lord demands. In fact, a lot of Christians have decided that. You just stay in poverty forever. If you make those kind of commitments, then wealth and material things begin to control you from the opposite direction. Because you'll never receive the good gifts of God. You'll never just enjoy what he can give. And to what Moses is telling his people, you're going to learn some lessons of the wilderness, and then the Lord's going to take you out into life, and he's going to bring you into the promised land, and you're going to win great battles, and then he's going to prosper you. But I want to share something with you. When you're living in your nice house, when your refrigerator is full, when your job is flying high, there's some special dangers that Moses wants to warn his people about, and because it's breathed out by the word of God, God wants to warn us. And he says this, when you have eaten, verse 10, when you have eaten and you are satisfied, what should you do? When you are eaten and you have satisfied, you should praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, as I enjoy the blessing of God's provision, my response to him needs to be to praise him. I really want to ask you, how many of you during the week find yourself singing to the Lord? Any of you wives have a husband that, man, you wake up and the guy, he sounds like a bullfrog. Man, he's singing in the shower. And man, he can't sing with a flip, but he's singing during the week. Whether he can sing or not, praise God for that. That's a great husband. Wives, do you find yourself whistling? You find yourself when you're driving in the car, you know, with the kids, you just find yourself humming? If you don't, there's something wrong. If you don't, it means that you're just groveling in the wilderness and you don't realize that God's going to ever bring you into the good land. One of the most powerful things that you can do in defeating the power of the enemy is just to praise him. And the church over the last few years in, in the United States and around the world has begun to learn to praise again. And they're finding there's incredible, incredible spiritual power in praising the Lord. And it was right back here in the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord says, when you're being blessed, you can forget to praise. Don't do it. Praise him. Because then it says this, when you have praised the Lord your God for the good land, verse 11, be careful that you do not forget. So you first of all praise, second of all, be very careful not to forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decree that I am giving you this day. In this land, Number one, you need to praise him. Number two, you need to remember him. And number three, the text is telling us you need to obey him. I want you to get that. When you're in prosperity, when the Lord has begun to provide for our needs, we need to be very careful. Number one, to praise him. Number two, not to forget. We tend to forget the wilderness. We, forget, we tend to forget the lessons that are learned. And number three, we need to learn to obey him. He goes on and says this. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build your fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes, its scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble you 
and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced the wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. Very important verses. Let me read them again. There's a heartbeat of expressing the point of this chapter. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. We are sitting in the book of Daniel, chapter 4, with Nebuchadnezzar's insanity. And we look at the greatest king of the ancient Near East prancing around the top of his palace. He's saying, is this not mighty Babylon that I've built? Is this not the incredible city that by my strength and my administrative ability, and he was like a big ape pounding his chest. And the Lord said, that's enough. And his couriers came in because Nebuchadnezzar went out of his tree. He became insane. He, he became sick with boanthropy which is a, a mental illness where a man begins to believe he's an animal. And for seven years, he went out and ate grass. His fingers grew long and his hair grew long. It's the ultimate boogeyman story, you might say. You know why that happened? Because it is absolutely insane for any one of us to think, is it not by my might? Is it not by my power? You know, as I say that to you, I know some of you sit there and go, that's so religious. It's so much like a pastor. Pastors are always trying to get us to, to read the Bible and to go to church and to be spiritual. That's the way your unbelieving friends talk to you. Your unbelieving friends convince those of you in that you're the most weird, far out, out of touch people imaginable. I mean, you, you study this book, you sing these, these sentimental praise choruses, you open up a hymn book and sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You have got to be the most out of touch people imaginable. And what did you learn today? You learned today that you're not supposed to believe in what you can see. You're supposed to build your whole life on the words of someone that you've never seen. And your unbelieving friends convince you and I that it's, we're just the most out-of-touch people imaginable. I want you to think hard. That is the bottom line truth. God is the one that gives us the power to make wealth. God is the one that gave me strength to drive on the streets of L.A., to go from home to home. God's the one that gave me a tongue that let me speak. You know what? Our entire life is just hanging by a thread, and that's the honest, the goodness truth. You have to go into the hospital room when someone gets sick. And what I found out, that doctors and pilots and powerful business people when they get in the hospital and they put on one of those stupid hospital gowns that split all the way up the back <laughs> and they stick intravenuses in you and you just lie there. <laughs> you know what? We're all just so fragile and all of our titles don't mean anything and all of our strength. And you know what else I find? I find that those powerful people, they say, you want to pray? before you go into surgery. I've never yet had a guy say, are you kidding me? I'm going to get myself through this surgery. Man, I'm the one. I got myself here, and I'm going to get myself out. I don't need to pray. Forget it. I've never had anyone tell me that. Man, I've had guys tell me to shut up as a pastor a million times in a million different situations, but never just before surgery, just before the nurse came in to give him the anesthetic. 
to meet you, and they grab a hold of you. The most self-reliant guy in the world, they grabbed a hold of you and said, oh, please, pastor, pray. Why do we do that? Because deep in our soul, everyone in this know, we're just hanging by a fragile thread. At the church, having a great big work day. Just before lunch, telephone rings. Mary says, you got to come home. I say, oh, no. Go running home. The day before, my big male colleague, he's beautiful, he's strong, his flowing blonde hair is blowing in the wind, and he's prancing, and he's mighty. And I rejoice in the beauty of that beautiful colleague. Joshua just fed him the night before, and once again, you know, man, he's healthy, he's strong, his tail is wagging. And I go home, and I look by his dog pen, and there's his beautiful dog in the mud, just flat on his belly. And he's dead. The dog that is dead. And it happened just like that. And we just go right on. In other words, I called CT. He figured out he got a real severe case of pneumonia. Took him that night. Rare thing. It happened every once in a while. And CT said, you want to dispose of him? I said, yeah. I want to tell you something. We didn't have, it. We didn't have a service. We don't have burials. You know why? Because it's a dog. And we hurt, but... I want to tell every one of you we close today. Every one of you is a whole lot more than just a beautiful collie dog. You're more than just stuff. You're more than just beautiful hair and beautiful bodies and abilities to make money. Please believe me, you're much more than that. You've been built for eternity. You've been built for a king. Realism cannot explain why you're any different than my collie dog Perry who just dies and is gone and that's it and we just go on living. Materialism cannot explain the difference between you and a dog. But God's word can't. God's word says that you are built for an ultimate father who loves you, who is nurturing you, who is training you, who will bring you through the wilderness, who will bring you into the bountiful land, who will teach you the lessons of deprivation and the lessons of prosperity. But through it all, he's saying, I love you and I will sustain you. And I tell you not to live for bread, for material things alone because it's not going to get you home. But I want you to live by every single word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Luke chapter 8, verse 14. The Lord said that some of the seed fell upon the ground and the worries and the cares of this life, the stuff of this life with its worries and cares, allowed Satan to steal the seed away. So I want every one of you to think, has God planted the seed of truth in your life? Has he told you that Christ is the ultimate answer? That he died for you? That he rose again? Has he planted that seed in your life, but you've allowed this stuff, the worries and care of this world, to take it away? You're a lot more than a dog. God wants to make you a child of the king. Don't let stuff, don't let bread steal the spiritual seed away. Because you'll wake up old and you'll find out that you lived for the wrong thing.
Second of all, let's open our eyes to the eternal inheritance that we have in Christ. Ephesians 1, 18 through 23 says that all of heaven is planned for you. All of heaven, all the glories, all the wonder is planned that God might be able to demonstrate his glorious grace to each one of us that love Christ for all of eternity. And finally, place your confidence in what will not vaporize. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 says, Warn those who are rich in the material blessings of this world not to put their trust in riches, not to become proud and put their trust in riches, but to put their trust in what we've talked about today, the word of God, our relationship with him, because that's what's not going to vaporize. That's what's going to last forever. Let's pray. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would teach us very powerfully the lessons of the wilderness during the hard times of our life. And Lord, we know that we ebb and flow. We not only face those hard times when we're young, but we can also face them right in the middle of midlife or in old age. We can face other wilderness experiences. Help us to realize you're not trying to hurt us or trying to beat us down but you're trying to train us because you're getting ready for the ultimate good land. Help us to realize you're not rejecting us, but you realize that the only way that we can grow is to be tested, to expose the reality of what's in our heart, and to learn to obey you, even in the midst of hard times. And then, Lord, we just cry out to you. We desperately need to learn the lessons of the land of prosperity. There are literally hundreds of the people that we live and work with that are living just for stuff. Their entire life revolves around those cars and getting the house and trying to get a good job and trying to maintain it. Their lives are filled with so much worry and so much concern and they, and they think that Jesus Christ is so irrelevant to the whole thing and the terrible crisis in Waco and the false teaching of so many charlatan religious teachers is causing these unbelievers to turn even farther away from the blessed bread of life who alone can provide a meaningful life that can help them to realize how much more significant that they are than just an animal. And I'd ask you, Lord, that you would help us to think very, very clearly about the difference between materialism and immaterialism, about living just for stuff, physical stuff, and living for spiritual truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.